Well, man, the, sometimes a life is better than a sermon. A life well lived is, a better, is better than a sermon. And I hope that uh, you'll get to know Pastor Sean if you don't get to know him. I hope that you'll celebrate him and get to know him because he is uh, an incredible example of what we are called to be. And I'm very thankful to have him in my life. Um, now, let's jump into the Word this morning. We're going we're gonna to take a, a turn into the Word, and as we do, as we kind of prepare ourselves, we'll be getting into Galatians 6, back into our, our series on good news in a broken world, and as you kind of prepare yourself for that, I owe you. I owe you the end of a story, and many of you have asked, Pastor Caleb, is there a skid steer still stuck in your backyard? Um, and I, I apologize, um, I apologize because my wife was not well positioned to document with photos and social media all of this. I was like, babe, the one time I could use all these pictures you take when I'm not paying attention. But, you know, she was elsewhere staying away from the problem. But all that to say, uh, if, you're, if you're not sure of what I'm talking about, you can go back. I think it was the June 26th message. I shared that um, in my efforts to do some, some self-landscaping, I got a, a, a large-sized skid steer stuck in a mud pit in the back of my yard. Uh, and so after many attempts with various types of equipment to pull this thing out, um, the owner that, that I had rented it from had to come and borrow a heavy-duty Jeep from one of his friends that they then chained to a large Douglas fir on one end of my yard and with this huge winch on the, the front end of the Jeep then chained the winch to the, to the skid steer. And so there's large tree, Jeep, skid steer, right? You tracking with me? And then the Jeep just in the middle just like pulled the skid steer out. And uh, so now there is no longer a skid steer stuck in my yard, but there is a different large hole than the one I use the skid steer to fill in in my yard. So that's the next project, and I'm in the process of gathering more dirt and going for round two. So we'll see what happens. Uh, and, and every day, you know, these 90-degree weeks, they're, just, they're drying out those muddy spots in my yard. So it's game on. We haven't given up yet. But um, I'm just excited and, uh, about that and just wanted to report because several of you, I love it. I tell stories. I preach sermons, and, and you know, those things I, I don't hear too much about. But I tell a story, and you guys are like, are you still struggling, Caleb, in your personal life? And so I do appreciate you caring for me and looking after me. But let's jump into Galatians. Uh, Galatians, the, the theme that we have been pulling out in this study through Galatians, and every time you look into God's word, there's always more there. And so there's so much in Galatians. We could do another series next summer on Galatians, and it wouldn't get old. But the theme that we have been focusing on out of the book of Galatians to the church is that the good news of Jesus is the answer to our broken world. It really is the answer, that there's not a problem in this world that can't somehow be fixed by beginning with the good news of Jesus and working from there. It's our job as the people of God in all of our various walks of life, seasons of life, uh, positions in the world and, and parts of history that we play, it's our job to apply the good news of Jesus in all of the little and big situations in our lives and to work with the Holy Spirit saying, Father, through your Spirit, show me and empower me how what Jesus did on the cross and what you did when you ro rose him from the dead, how does that change the brokenness that I face in this situation today. And it all really starts with that, that, that God came to be with broken humanity in Jesus. And Jesus was the only human being that ever lived a perfect life. 
And at the end of that life, Jesus sacrificed, he allowed his life to be taken as a sacrifice to pay the price for all of the selfish and prideful things that all of us had ever done. He could only do that because he had lived a perfect life. And then, though he was dead, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rose him from the dead and say, this is proof that what Jesus did on the cross worked and what I did with Jesus, that's the first fruits of what I want to do with all of you and the whole world. And so Jesus initiated on the cross a kingdom in this broken world that is in the business of restoring broken things. And so Jesus's message and Jesus's kingdom and Jesus's work today still through that same Holy Spirit that rose him from the dead is restoring us and through us restoring the world around us. And it all started with one thing, that what Jesus did on the cross by paying the price for our sin was powerful because in Jesus's death on the cross, he broke the hold of sin on our lives. The Bible says that because Jesus paid the price for our sin, that he ransomed us and redeemed us from slavery to sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin. You might say, what is that slavery, sin? What are we talking about here? But the Bible makes the point that if we reflect a little bit on our own lives, on history, and on the world around us, it becomes very evident that it's true. The Bible says that because we made one selfish choice, that we became slaves to selfishness. And if you aren't sure what sin is, the best substitute word to start with is selfishness. That we became slaves to selfishness. It's not that we just are selfish sometimes. It's that apart from Jesus, we can't help but be selfish. The only voice that screams inside of us for us to obey is the voice of self that wants it now. It wants it for ourselves. It wants us to be happy all the time, every time, and never have to wait for it. Does that sound familiar? We put a pretty good facade on it, but we all know that voice. It sounds a lot like us. And apart from Jesus, we are slaves to that voice. And it takes all sorts of different forms, but what really happens is human beings don't do what they should. They do what they think is best for self-preservation, self-satisfaction, self-actualization, and everything revolves around self. And if you're in our Bible reading plan, you just finished this morning reading through Romans 8, and Romans 8 really expands on this idea and says that when you live according to the voice of self, it leads you to one place, death. That the more you focus on yourself, the more you are killing yourself and spreading the rot, the disease of death to everything around you. And that really is why the world is broken. It's because of human sin spreading the disease of death to everything around us. But in Jesus, we are free. Now, we are not free from the voice of selfishness, are we? We're not free from the temptation of sin, but we are free from the bondage of sin. We are free just like Adam and Eve in the garden. They were free, completely free, to make a choice between listening to self and listening to God. And what Jesus did on the cross is set us free. Once again, if you are a Christian, you are free every day, not from the voice of selfishness, but you are free from slavery to selfishness. You do not have to do 
what it says. Because you, by the blood of Jesus, are set free to follow the voice of faith that says, even though I can't see it, I believe that what Jesus said is better than what I can come up with. And I believe that what he has called me to is better for me than what I feel my selfish nature calling me to in the world around me. And that is the freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom to make a choice. Isn't that what we all want? Options. But we, we struggle with them, don't we? We struggle with them, don't we? I mean, it's like this. Every time I go to a restaurant, I am blessed and cursed with choices. I look at a menu, and while I look at the menu, my brain is analyzing what is the best thing for me on this menu. And I'm watching other food around the restaurant. Anybody else? You're not a people watcher. You're a meal watcher. Yeah. And I'm trying to make sure the worst possible thing that can happen to Caleb in a restaurant is when all the food comes to the table that I look at someone else's and I'm like, oh, man, theirs is better than mine. Should have picked that one. And isn't that the way that we live life? We look around and we analyze what's the best thing, what's going to make me the happiest, and we look at everybody else, maybe I'll be like that, or maybe I can be like that, or I don't think I can be like that. And, and then we get what we think we always wanted, but then we look around and we see somebody else and we're like, I should have wanted that. I should have pursued that career. I should have pursued that kind of spouse. I should have done that in life. I should have, should have, could have, would have. And we just, we end up, what does that do? It kills our soul. The curse of comparison. The curse of too many choices. But God has given us the dignity of choice. And there is only one choice that is right. It is the choice to please him. And that's really at the heart of our passage today is, is the, the results of that. It, it explains the, the truth behind that. And I'm going to skip to the heart verses in the first part of Galatians 6, and then we're going to work backwards and look at, at how this plays out in our lives. So in Galatians 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, but I want to start in verses 7 and 8 at the heart of the passage where it says this, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. I'm going to stop there for a moment. And I want you to think about this comparison here. It says, those who live to please the Holy Spirit. That is the living, active voice of God. It's the way that Jesus is literally, though not physically, with all people at all times through the presence of God and the Holy Spirit. You can't see him, but he is there speaking, waiting to make himself available to you. He is always there waiting for you to pay attention. And it's when we seek God, that we experience him through the Holy Spirit. It says, when we seek to please the Holy Spirit, we will harvest everlasting life. And can I tell you, anytime in the Bible you see a good adjective next to life, everlasting life, abundant life, life to the fullest, you know what Jesus is talking about? Life as it's meant to be, that we're always grasping for but never achieving. It's that flourishing life that we like to talk about here at Sound Life Church, that we are supposed to flourish, but there's only one way to get there. It's by choosing to please the Spirit instead of please ourselves. 
And when all we do is grasp after what we think we want in the moment, it's like a kid with the, the cookie jar, and they're just, I want another cookie, I want another cookie. And what do they end up doing? Throwing up and sometimes throwing down at the same time. And that's no way to flourish. That's not a way to live. And yet we end up living the same way if we're not careful. Pastor Susie, who preached for me a couple of weeks ago and did a fantastic job delivering the truth of, of the word, and so did Pastor Kenny the week before that. Um, Pastor Susie said this. She said, the goal of all of the choices the Holy Spirit calls us to be, the goal of the fruit of the Spirit is not simply behavior, right? It's not like you need to be a good person. You need to act more like the Holy Spirit. You need to be better behaved. She said that the goal is not simply spiritual behavior, but the goal is life with the Spirit, relationship with the Spirit. That God doesn't just want you to behave. God wants you to be with him. That's why he created you. That's why he sent his son on the cross to die for you. That's why he poured out his spirit on sinful, broken human beings. And that's why he's preparing a place for you in heaven because God wants to be with you. And he's inviting you. Let's live in a relationship where you make your focus pleasing me and I'll make my focus blessing you. That's a good deal because God's always better at it than we are. And here's the thing, it says at the beginning of those verses, don't be misled, you can't mock the justice of God. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And what is the Apostle Paul speaking about to the Galatians? What is God saying is to his church? He's saying, hey, be careful. Be careful, all of you Christ followers, that you are not uh, putting on a facade and an image of pleasing God, but you're really spending your whole life pleasing yourself. You know how we, we tend to do this? We say, well, I, I'm going to give my intellectual, I don't, I don't want to miss out on heaven, so yes, I believe that Jesus came, I believe he died on the cross, and all that kind of stuff. But do you know that belief is always followed by action in the Bible? Faith is always followed by obedience. It's the only way it works. And so if we believe something intellectually, but nothing about our life is changing from when we lived self-seeking lives before Jesus, you're not a Christian. You're just a good historian, you believe what God did in history, but you don't believe it enough to let Jesus rule your life. So sin's still ruling your life. Believing is a word for, in, in the Bible, is a word for faith, not a word for intellectual understanding. Intellect is a part of it, but it's not the whole deal. And so Jesus is calling us into a life of faith that leads to relationship. And the interesting thing about relationship is you can't fake relationship. Not for very long. You can smile, you can small talk, you can, you can kind of stay functional, but you can't fake relationship. You can't pretend you love a spouse. You either love them and they know it, or you don't and they know it. You can't pretend to love your kids. They're either your priority and they know it, or they're not your priority and they know it. And so if you can't fake it to human beings, why would we think we could fake it to God? We cannot fake relationship. And God's saying, hey, you get the choice. Because of Jesus on the cross, you get the choice. But don't try to, to two-time me. Don't try to ride the fence. You're not going to end up with the right thing at the end because there is, you're either in or you're out. You're either pleasing God or you're pleasing yourself. And you will harvest what you plant. 
fact, Sam Johnson last week, applying it to missions giving, which is a great application of this biblical truth, but it's a biblical truth that really applies to every way that we invest our lives, not just our finances, but our time, our energy, our words, our thoughts, our careers, everything. Everything that we have been given in this physical life is a seed that can be planted, can be invested somewhere, and where we invest it determines the kind of harvest we will get from it. And Sam Johnson said this, he said, the most important day of the harvest is the day that you choose the seed, meaning the day you choose what kind of seeds you're going to plant is the most important day because you can take care of good seeds and bad seeds the same way. You can take care of weeds the same way you take care of crops, and at the end, you're going to get the fruit of whichever kind of seed you planted. And what this scripture is saying to us is that we make choices every day to please the Spirit or to please ourselves. We make choices every day And God's not mocked. He's not fooled. He's not, when we say, hey, God, I'll please you tomorrow, but today I can't miss this opportunity. God, I'll be obedient tomorrow, but today I just need to ride this out. God, I'm kind of tired, so I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing, but I'll be with you soon. God's not, he's not a fool. He's not cheap. He's worth us making whatever sacrifice ourself has to make to love him more than ourselves. And he already did that for us on the cross. He's already done that by being patient with us through history. He's already doing that by preparing a place for us in heaven. God is always leading with self-sacrifice and waiting for us to leave behind selfishness. And we make choices every day with our money our time, our energy, our words, our thoughts, every expression of what it means to be a person can be invested in self or in God. And that's what this passage focuses on. It's interesting also in our Bible reading this morning, the prophet Hosea is calling the nation of Israel back to God, and he says this very thing that stuck out to me this morning in the devotions. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, he says, sow seeds of righteousness, and you will harvest a crop of love. And who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want Love to be the defining experience of their life and relationship. And he says, if you'll sow, if you'll do the right things, the things God's called you to do, you're going to experience love, a crop of love. And he goes on to say, but you're going to have to plow up the hard ground of your heart. He says, and what does that mean to plow up the hard ground? He says, you're going to have to seek the Lord more than you seek self-satisfaction. You're going to have to seek the Lord, but when you do, he's going to shower righteousness on you, which means he's going to shower goodness on you. More than the seeds you ever plant are the showers of God's goodness on your life. And what do we know? That a good harvest always exceeds the seeds that produced it, right? One seed produces a plant that can produce hundreds of seeds, if it's well taken care of, and when we plant the right seed and we cultivate it in relationship with God, there's nothing that can stop God from giving us far more than we ever invested in the first place. It will be a crop of love. 
a refreshing shower of righteousness. But we have to make the choice. And that is the blessing and the hardship of being human. As we have more choices than we're very good at making sometimes. The passage begins with three areas where we plant spiritual seeds or selfish ones. And I want to start back at the beginning of the passage and look at these three areas because sometimes it's easy to get overwhelmed and we say with genuine prayers, that God, I want to please you. But sometimes we miss the moment when we were supposed to choose to please him. Sometimes we miss the opportunity to plant a seed. There are probably hearts around this room like mine as I read God's word. I'm like, yes, God, I want to do that. And then I go through the next day and I work my job just like I worked it before and I treat people just like I treated them before and I don't pray any more than I prayed before and I make the same mistakes I made before because I'm not looking for the opportunity when the seed is ready. I just make choices without thinking about it. And so these three areas are areas that we all experience and can be aware of that give us an opportunity to plant spiritual seeds or to plant selfish ones. And so in the first three verses of Galatians 6, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone else, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. I love that. You know who you're important to? God. If you're important to yourself, it's a waste of importance. You're important to God, but you're not more important to God than anybody else. And that's why it says, obey the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Love God with everything you've got and love other people the same way you love yourself. And what is, what is this saying here? What's the application? How do we plant spiritual seeds? What this passage is saying is that the Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for each other. When we come to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, I want to please you, do you know what the first thing he does? Is he says, awesome, I love you, why don't you come alongside with me and let's be less selfish by blessing other people together and I will teach you the blessings of God by blessing other people. And sometimes in our immaturity we're like, no, 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 God, I just want more of your presence, we don't need all those other people. In fact, they're a mess, God, I mean, seriously, why would we waste time on that? And he says, because I love them just like I love you. And because their mess isn't any worse than your mess. And their sins aren't any worse than your sins. And Jesus died for their sins just like he died for your sins. And the Father's preparing a place for them just like he's preparing a place for you. So son, daughter, would you join me and let's experience the blessing of blessing someone else. And how do we do that? He says we gently and humbly help someone back on the right path. The Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for each other. Put that, oh, it's still up there. I want you to think about that word responsibility. Nobody likes responsibility. If I had a sign-up sheet in the lobby for anyone, hey, if you just want more responsibility, no privileges promised, just more responsibility, just sign up in the lobby, nobody would sign up. Because nobody, nobody needs or wants more responsibility, but that's exactly what the Holy Spirit says. He says, hey, I want you to think less about yourself and take more responsibility for each other. 
Do you know what responsibility means? Responsibility means you care. It means you care about things. You care about things other than yourself. Sometimes you care about things more than you should. Sometimes you care about things so much that it hurts, and it doesn't necessarily do anything for you. You just care. So when you see someone else broken, you see someone else sinning, as in this case, you're like, ah, that bothers me because I care about them. And I care about God, and I care about their flourishing. I don't, I don't know why, but I care. And when you make yourself available to please the Holy Spirit, he plants a seed in you that says, now you're going to care. And do you know the problem with caring? Caring hurts. When you care about the world, and the world's a mess, it hurts. When you care about people, and their lives are a mess, it hurts. When you care about your spouse and things aren't good, it hurts. When you care about your kids and they're not doing well, it hurts. When you take responsibility, you are guaranteed pain. But it's exactly where the Holy Spirit wants to lead you. Hey, come share the pain of the cross of Jesus as we help them share in the blessings of Jesus. Care results in nurturing and it results in accountability. It means that you care and that you bring people to accountability. It says that you should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. You know, if you're wondering, you're, you're thinking, okay, the Bible's telling me to go correct other people's sin. There's a handful of you that are really excited about that. <laughs> and you need to chill out. The rest of us are like, I'm not doing that. That's culturally unacceptable. Can I just remind you, I don't care what our culture says. We are called to be citizens of the kingdom. So it's our job to figure out how to do this. But Jesus makes it pretty clear. He says, start with gentleness and humility, which most of us are bad at both of those things. We might pretend, but it's passive aggressive. It's not gentleness and humility. Be gentle and humble. And he says, share each other's burdens in, and in this way obey the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love God with everything you've got and love other people. How? like yourself. So when you see someone else's sin and you're like, oh man, oh man, Pastor Susie has some significant sin in her life. <laughs> Kyle, don't nod your head. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Susie's awesome, very holy. But Susie has some sin in her life. How should I go approach Susie? My first, shot, my first thought should be, if I had sin in my life, how would I want Susie to approach me? How would I want Susie to address me? You know, if you're married, this is like, like a weekly activity if you're a healthy Christian couple. Most of us aren't, so you don't have to worry about that. But, <laughs> you know, when my wife sees sin in my life, she can either address me as a truth teller, you're wrong! She wouldn't say it like that, but you know. And she's correct. I would be wrong. But depending on how she delivers that, I either feel like she cares about me, like she's taking responsibility, like she's sharing the burden, or I feel crushed, defensive. And what do defensive people do? They say, well, look what's wrong with you. 
That's not what he's talking about. He says, think about how they would want. And so, so I would maybe sit down with Pastor Susie or, or my wife would sit down with me and say something like, hey, can I talk to you about something? I love you. I love what you're doing. I love your ministry. I love, how, how you, I love your family and all these things. And, and there's this thing that I've been noticing, and I could be totally wrong. This could be me. But can I talk about something with you? And, and from my perspective, that's also imperfect and in process, it seems like this thing about your life doesn't line up with your commitment to Jesus. Is that something you've been feeling? Is there something that, that's going on that I can help you with? How can I walk with you in that? And you go with the humility and the gentleness that one, you might be wrong. There might be something else there that you're missing. And you also go with the humility and gentleness that understands that there's gonna come a point where Pastor Susie has to come and talk to me. Where my spouse needs to talk to me and sometimes I need to talk to her. But gentleness and humility should be the, the nature of the relationship, should be the feeling of the relationship in encouragement and in correction. And we are called to do that for each other. That means when you're sitting in a growth group and your friend in the growth group is saying something and you're like, oh my goodness, that does not sound healthy. You don't go like get in the car with your spouse and you're like, wow, that couple's messed up. <laughs> no, you know what you do? You invite that couple to dinner. You build relationship. You start to share the little burdens of life before you drop the big one on them. Because all of this is spoken into community where relationship is assumed. And if all you do is come to church once or twice a month and sit alongside a bunch of people you don't know, you're not going to church. You're going to like a free concert with some speaking at the end of it. You're hearing a good Bible message in person instead of on YouTube, but you're not going to church. When you're in community, allowing the word to shape you, that's when you're in church. When you join in the corporate worship of Jesus because he's worth it and he loves when his family gathers to worship him, that's when you're in church. When you know that you're crying out to Jesus and so are other people that you know what's going on in their lives, that's when you're in church. That's what we're called to do. And then when we go out, to bear each other's burdens. And so the Holy Spirit, when we say, I want to please you, Holy Spirit, I want to sow seeds that are going to harvest love and righteousness, the Holy Spirit's like, great. He's going to lead you to take responsibility for people that you otherwise are not responsible for. And that's what the church has done throughout history. That's what the church has been known for, is for loving people they were not obligated to love, serving people they were not obligated to serve, spending their time and money and energy and words on people that couldn't give them anything back, that didn't owe them anything, because the Holy Spirit had put it on their heart to take responsibility. And can I just, this isn't in my notes, but can I just tell you one of the horrible atrocities in the church in our nation today is that we look at our nation and we look at our world and we're like, man, good riddance. That's a mess out there. As long as it doesn't touch me and mine, whatever. Don't care. I'm not getting involved. I'm not saying anything. I'm not going to love people. I'm not going to be in relationship with those people. I'm not going to invest. I'm just going to take care of mine. And that is not pleasing the Holy Spirit. That is sowing seeds to self that leads to death and decay. And the only way to salvage and to protect and to flourish as a person and as a family is to give everything you've got to the mission to live all your life on mission, to say, Jesus put me on the front lines, that is the safest place to be, is on the front lines of the spiritual battle. 
You try to protect yourself, what does Jesus say? He says, if you try to save your life, you're guaranteed to lose it. You try to, try to keep from speaking up on my behalf, guaranteed. Nobody's speaking up on your behalf. So we have to take responsibility for each other. The second thing in verses 4 through 5 is he goes on, he says, And pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And you, don't, you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else, for we are each responsible. There's that word again. We're each responsible for our own conduct. Now, I want you to notice that word conduct right there is, is all-encompassing. We can read this, and we might think that work means our job, but the work that he's referring to is the spiritual work of aligning our entire life with Jesus, which includes your work, and it includes everything you do when you're not at work. And so when you go to Jesus and you say, man, I, I want to please you. I want to, uh, the Holy Spirit, I want to please you then the Holy Spirit is going to lead us to take responsibility for ourselves. And this is the opposite of what selfishness wants. Selfishness wants everybody else to take responsibility for us and us to take responsibility for nothing. And he mentions there, if you will just worry about being the most godly person you can be, if you will, as Philippians says, work out your faith with fear and trembling, that every day you're like, Jesus, how do I please you more? Jesus, how do I be focused on you more? If you will focus on that and not compare yourself to everybody else, which by the way, comparison is the tool of pride, and pride always leads us to either insecurity or arrogance, and neither one is healthy. They're both selfish. If you're insecure, it's selfishness. If you're arrogant, it's blind selfishness. Comparison leads us to those things. The Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for ourselves, to stop being lazy. And can I say, there's a lot of hardworking people in the church that are spiritually lazy, that use their careers and all their other responsibilities as an excuse to not take spiritual responsibility for themselves. You think, man, I work so hard so I don't have to serve my family spiritually lazy. You think, man, I've been done wrong so much so I don't have to forgive someone else, spiritually lazy. You think, I've been abused so it's just good that I'm not abusing my kids. I don't have to invest that much in them. They should be thankful for what I've given, spiritually lazy. Man, I've been faithful to my spouse for 25 years. What more could they ask of me? Spiritually lazy. And I go and do my job every day and I'm fine. I don't need to share Jesus at my work. You know, that's their job. That's between them and Jesus to figure that out. Spiritually lazy. Man, I've been a good, faithful Christian for years. I can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit convicted me and I obeyed, but I've been a good, faithful churchgoer for, for 50 years. Spiritually lazy. Here's the crazy lie about laziness. Laziness makes us believe that we're not hurting anybody, but laziness actually hurts everyone around us. Laziness is the greatest sin of omission. Do you know what a sin of omission is? It's a sin of doing nothing when we are called to do something. It's a sin of not doing the right thing when we should have. And laziness is the ultimate sin of omission. You are responsible to be more like Jesus tomorrow than you were today. You are responsible to be more like Jesus next year than you are this year. You are responsible to be a godlier husband in the season ahead than you were in the season past. You are responsible to show your kids what it looks like to walk with Jesus day in and day out. You are responsible, and there will be a day when you and I stand 
stand before Jesus and he will say, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And you'll say, Jesus, I got all these promotions and I went on these vacations and I really enjoyed the life you gave me. And he's going to look down and he's going to say, well, the record shows that you were all about yourself, pretty lazy with everything else. The parable of the talents shows that the servant that has buried their talent and didn't invest it, it didn't go very well for them. Laziness is a horrible sin, both spiritually and practically. It does damage to everyone around us, but the Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for ourselves, to wake up and say, Jesus, how can I pursue you? My wife and I say to each other often, if we don't grow spiritually, no one else will tell us to. No one else is going to tell you to. I mean, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, you're going to hear it on Sunday mornings. If you're lucky, you're going to hear it in a growth group. But what about those other moments, those other days? That's between you and the Holy Spirit to wake up and say, God, our generation needs godly men and women. And it looks like from the Bible you use all sorts of screwed up people. So it's my job, no matter how screwed up I am, to be a godly man or woman in my generation. So God, what do you want to do? I'm going to wake up earlier and stay up later and work harder, not just on my own promotions and vacations, but on the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to pursue godliness and holiness and patience and gentleness and courage and confidence. Why? Because God is worthy and the people around me are desperate for it. Because if I don't show it to my children, I can guarantee you no one else in this culture will. And the same is true for your coworkers and your family and your friends, that if you don't show them what it looks like to be a man or a woman of God, don't just hope they come to Sound Life Church and meet Sean Backus. They're supposed to meet you. And you're supposed to look a lot like Jesus. And where you don't grieve over it. When we sin, it should grieve us because Jesus had to die for it and we love him. When we sin, it should grieve us because we failed at our responsibilities to ourselves, to Jesus and to the people around us. We are responsible for ourselves. And then there's a third area of responsibility. Verse six, it says, those who are taught the word of God should provide for their teachers. These are the most uncomfortable verses to preach because it sounds very self-serving. But let me say this. Leaders are accountable to God for how they lead you. And so are you for how you respond to their leadership. Every leader you will meet in this world is imperfect and they are accountable to God for their imperfections and how they either let those imperfections run rampant on the people they lead or they restrain them by the grace of God to represent Christ. They are responsible to God and they will be held accountable. Don't you worry. And the best thing you can do is not try to do it yourself. Not try to hold bitterness and and anger and all those things to leaders that have hurt you. They're not the church and they're not Jesus. They're imperfect people. So don't blame Jesus and his church for what some broken human being did to you. Get over it, forgive, and let them be accountable to Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for our spiritual leaders. And remember, responsibility is care that leads to nurturing and accountability. We have, in our church, a board of deacons 
And their primary responsibility is the nurturing and accountability of the pastoral team in partnership with the lead pastor, but they also hold the lead pastor accountable. And it's also their responsibility to make sure that I can take care of my family financially as they steward the funds of Sound Life Church. So there's a good system in place, but we all have a responsibility. You know, when someone opens their home as a growth group leader, love on them, support them, encourage them, come alongside them. When you have a pastor that invests in your kid, love them, encourage them, support them, come alongside them. Why? Because along with the double responsibility comes a double burden. There is a double burden. That's not something to brag about or whine about because if we do it right, Jesus helps us carry the burden. But part of the way Jesus does that is through his church. It's through his church. And so that's why we celebrate Pastor Sean this morning in a small way because he's worthy of celebration. And do you know what it really shows when we celebrate leaders? What does it say? Leaders that teach us the word of God. Leaders that teach us the word of God. It shows that we love the word. It shows that we love God's voice. It shows that we love, because I'll tell you what, there's a lot of broken, uh, ungodly leaders that have taught the word of God in powerful ways that can speak to the hearts of people. Now, it's not supposed to be that way, but it does happen a lot. So love the word of God. And don't give in to the the natural uh, way of our day of being cynical towards leadership. Right? Don't be cynical. Don't be cynical. Fight that temptation to be suspicious and cynical of everyone. Now, again, sounds very self-serving. And if you see something messed up in my life, come talk to me about it. Talk to our deacons about it. Please. We got to be accountable to one another. But don't, don't just go looking for something wrong in everybody's life. Don't just like, oh, here we go. It's offering time again. I'm sure they love it when we give in the offering. Here's the deal. It would be way easier for me to go make a lot more money doing a different job, but it's my responsibility to get you to not make money an idol in your life. So yes, I'm gonna preach tithe to you until you're like, tithe isn't enough. I need to give more than my tithe because that's the sign of a mature Christian. One that's not owned by their own money, right? We're like, oh man, here we go celebrating another pastor again. Like, what are you so grumpy about? So don't, but that's the way of our culture, right? That's the way of humanity is that we're cynical. We give into that comparison and that ugliness and that sin. And that's not the way we need to love each other. And then when we see something that's wrong, be like, hey, can I talk to you about something that kind of like I have to do with Susie all the time? Just kidding. I'm just picking on Susie today. She did a great job. You didn't hear her message two weeks ago. It was awesome. I loved it. I was like in my office watching it online, just like cheering like, yes. Come on, get them, Susie. Preach it. Woo! That's how, I, that's how I respond to sermons, so feel free anytime you want. I get excited about it. Um, so anyways, you should listen to it. But all that to say, the Holy Spirit leads us to take responsibility for our spiritual leaders. And that looks different for everybody. That looks different for everybody. Sometimes that's just like, you, you know, sometimes that's just you saying, hey, thank you for preaching the word to me. Sometimes, you know what the best thing you can do for your spiritual leaders? Pray for them. The best thing that you can do is pray, pray the power and the presence and the conviction of God on your leaders. You know, I got, I got a, a note from Dean Lloyd just recently, and it, it just said, we're praying for you. Just wanted you to know, we always pray for you. And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, that somebody realizes how much I need you, Jesus. And they're praying that for me, 
right? And so love on your leaders that way with prayer first and then however else the Holy Spirit leads you. Now, I want to close with this, that these three examples, taking responsibility for, your, for other people, taking responsibility for yourself, and taking responsibility for those who lead you in godliness, those are the first three areas that every day you have opportunity, particularly in those first two categories, to plant seeds towards godliness or plant seeds towards selfishness. And your responsibility is to partner with the Holy Spirit in loving other people well and in being the godliest person that you can be. But always remember this, the most pleasing thing to the Holy Spirit, the best seeds to plant, the most pleasing thing to the Holy Spirit is when we choose to love others more than ourselves. If in doubt, love someone else more. And you may, some of you that do this really well, you realize that there is a trap that we fall into because taking responsibility for everyone else and ourselves can be pretty exhausting. It's a heavy burden to bear sometimes. I mean, I never understood until I had kids the burden that my parents felt for me when I was a kid. And I probably made that burden a little heavier than it needed to be. You know, I never understood. I was very critical of my parents' marriage until I got married. And I was like, oh, it's a little harder than they make it look in the movies. Right? We, understand, we, we have to take, we have to love one another, but we understand that loving is hard, and at times loving others will leave you feeling drained, which is why the passage ends in verse 9 and 10 with these powerful verses. And Pastor Sean said to me this week that verse 9 is one of his favorite verses. I love that we're preaching on it today. It says, so let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Say, harvest of blessing. Orden, you better be saying, harvest of blessing. Come on. But we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Amen. And sometimes that means like, God, I want to give up. I got nothing left to give, but I'm giving what I don't have to give because I believe there's a harvest of blessing and I'm hanging on. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep on giving when I have nothing left to give. I don't want to hear any of this like I'm running on fumes. I have nothing left to give. That's perfect. Pour it all out. The Apostle Paul said, I poured out everything. I have nothing left to give, but I'm going to keep on giving until Jesus takes me home. Because Jesus is saying, plant every seed, every breath that you have, every heartbeat somehow, plant it in something that's going to have a harvest of blessing. And the only way to do that is by planting in the Holy Spirit's work of loving the people around you towards Jesus for eternity, like Jesus. And so he says, don't get tired. Verse 10, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, and especially to those in the family of faith. Especially to those in the family of faith. You know, Romans 8.18, again in our Bible reading, just in these last couple of days, it says so well. In fact, if, you're, if this message is hitting home, you need to read Romans 8. You need to just dive in and chew on Romans 8 for a week. But Romans 8 verse 18 says that our present suffering cannot compare with the glory that is in store for us. Yes. That means the more you suffer, the better the reward. You're suffering the worst moments, the most tired moments, the most exhausted moments. Can I hear you stay-at-home moms? Those moments, they're nothing compared with the glory that awaits you. 
There's glory in store. God's like, oh, I'm going to pay him back tenfold for that, thirtyfold for that, hundredfold for that. They're serving me. They're representing me. They're on the front lines of the battle. They are winning the war against the devil. They are showing people what it looks like to live for glory. And so I can't wait to give them some more of that glory. And so right when you're exhausted, that's the perfect moment to plant another seed. Right when you've got nothing left to give, that's the perfect moment to love someone a little more. Right when you've got nothing left to give, that's the perfect moment. It's like this scripture is like a coach saying, dig deep, dig deep. Do you ever have a coach say that to you in the fourth quarter? I know you're worn out. I know you're exhausted. Dig deep. Find that deeper level. Go a little further. Give it all to the end. Wait until the buzzer goes. And then you get the reward. Then you get the reward. I think if we could see what Jesus had in store for us, there would be no question. But if we could see what Jesus had in store for us, we wouldn't get the reward of faith, which is the greatest reward heaven can give. So live with faith. Every day. Take responsibility for people. Take responsibility for yourself. Where necessary, take responsibility for godly leaders. But by all means, plant seeds that will reap a harvest of blessings, seeds that will please God. And every time you're tempted to please yourself, it's interesting, in the last month, I've had so, I was telling my wife, I'm like, I've had so many chances to plant seeds of selfishness. I wrote this in my journal on our couple weeks of vacation. I just said, God, I don't want the power of this world. I want to know the power of your name. I don't want the pleasures of this world. I want the pleasures of your presence. And I don't want the prosperity of this world. I want the prosperity of your kingdom. Peas, you know, it's like a preacher thing. Lots of peas. But you know what's interesting? I wrote that like three weeks ago. And since then, it's like the enemy's like, oh, really? Let's see. I've got some, how about some prosperity? How does that sound? Or how about this? Or how about that? And I'm like, no! I want Jesus! I want the kingdom! I don't want to settle for something that's rotting and decaying and running away! I want something that's eternal and glorious, something that's so big only God can give. And so let it burn in your hearts and don't be satisfied with the things of the world. Don't be satisfied with the daily desires you have, but invest those as daily seeds for something that God desires for you. Every day, hunger and thirst and say, God, let me plant another seed for eternity. And he will bless you with that. I need to end up, wrap this up, but... The question for you to walk away with today, and, and the scriptures have given us some general categories, but those general categories are meant to be applied in your life. The question for us to walk away with and kind of wrestle with on our own in prayer before the Lord, and I read a book, I read a book by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, such a good book. I've read it like six times. He says, if more Christians would just get on their knees with Bibles open and seek the Lord and stop reading all the other Christian books, we would see revival. That you spend 30 minutes a day just like this. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, work in me. Jesus, help me. Jesus, anoint me. That's what the world needs. And here's the crazy thing. I was just thinking about this this morning. The world's all scared of climate change. 
And I don't blame them. They probably should be. How many of the Old Testament prophets are like, hey, famine's coming? Hey, a desert heat is coming that's going to kill every green thing in your land unless you repent and turn to the Lord. And then God will bring rivers of living water and restore every green thing. God has a way. The good news of Jesus is the answer to our broken world. So what is the Holy Spirit calling you to take more responsibility for? You know what it is. Can I just say, if you're a dad in this room, wherever you're at, step it up. Our culture is desperate for godly men. Desperate for godly men, not pushover men, not pathetic men, not emotionally weak men, not domineering machismo men. Our culture is desperate for godly men. Godly men who love their wives more than their promotions and love their kids more than the satisfaction of their jobs. Godly men who love to sacrifice more than they love selfish pleasure. And if you don't have kids to love, I guarantee you, get involved with Pastor Sean. There's plenty of kids that need a godly man in their life. That's just one, sorry. That one burns in my heart. But we need it. Men, we need you. You need to lead the way. Scripture calls you to lead the way. Not because women aren't capable, but because God knew you needed to be responsible. So what's the Holy Spirit calling you to take more responsibility for? Maybe it's to love your spouse better. Maybe it's to say, I'm sorry. When they have more to say sorry for, but you need to be more like Jesus. I don't know what it is. What is it you need to take responsibility for? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, I pray that your word would pierce our hearts today. I pray that your word would, would cut through joint and marrow. Lord, that your word would cut straight to our spirits, that we would be hungry. And Lord, forgive us. We repent of all of the temporal things that we have indulged ourselves in. We repent of all the things that we have excused ourselves with from the, the responsibilities of your kingdom. We repent of being selfish instead of taking responsibility for those you have put in our lives. We repent of, of being lazy instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. We repent of being cynical instead of taking responsibility for the, the preaching of your word. We repent of these things, and Father, I ask that you would show us one person, one situation that we need to plant seeds in this week. Show us one way we need to love people better. Show us one way we need to step up our game. Show us one way we need to respond differently to your word in our lives. Show us. Lord, call us. We need you. We're hungry for you. We long for you. And Lord, we recognize that the brokenness of this world is our responsibility because you've given us a choice to wield the power and presence of your spirit or to seek the pleasures and prosperity of this world. So Father, would you do a work in us? Would you do a work in us that the angels applaud? Would you do a work in us that you get all the glory for? Would you do a work in us that transforms us, mind and spirit and soul? Would you do a work in us like you did in Moses that glory flowed out? Father, we need you.
We need you. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.